Hi guys, welcome to the Katie Helper Show. And gotta tell you something. Sorry that I've been behind a lot of issues, including a still as of now broken laptop. So I've been trying to uh, power through with my mom's laptop. So apologies for delays. And uh, to compensate for that, uh, you'll be having a lot of stuff coming at you. That sounds more violent and threatening than like good news, which is how I intended it. But a bunch of podcast episodes and Patreon episodes and um, some uh, Thomas Frank, some Owen Higgins, some Jimmy Dore, some Marianne Williamson. Please rate and review the Katie Helper Show on iTunes. Please become Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. If you're more visual people, I do a YouTube live stream twice a week. Today's episode is a Massachusetts-focused one, but it's great because you don't need to live in Massachusetts to enjoy it. Alex Morse is challenging a really corrupt, powerful incumbent. He's running for Massachusetts 1st District. I couldn't tell if it was Massachusetts's or Massachusetts, but I think it's Massachusetts because it's written that way. He's running for Massachusetts 1st District, which is currently represented by this guy named Richie Neal, very corrupt, and is the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. And Alex is a real progressive. He was mayor at age 22, and he was basically set up, and actually I did a good uh, Patreon-only episode about this with Liza Featherstone and Greg Goldberg, and basically he was set up by students who like his opponent, the incumbent, which is like ridiculous. I can't imagine someone liking this guy that much, this old corrupt dude. Uh, I I think this student wanted to get a job or an internship. Anyway, Alex gets into it. And a Patreon-only episode for this week is with Owen Higgins, who's a reporter. He and Daniel Boguslaw and Ryan Graham at The Intercept did some digging around and found how corrupt this thing was and found out that this whole thing was basically a coordinated hit job. You'll hear about it during the interview. Anyway, so you can find out more about Alex Morse at alexmorseforcongress.com. And then I speak to Isan Lakey, an immigrant survivor and Wall Street regulator running for Congress to bring transformative change to Massachusetts' 4th Congressional District. She is running to fill Joe Kennedy's seat, which he left for the Senate. I should mention that their primary is September 1st, so share this episode widely, early and often. Alex Morris, who's running for Congress, who has already achieved a lot of things as uh, one of the youngest mayors, and definitely the youngest mayor of Holyoke, and a real progressive. So thank you again so much for um, talking to me now on my show. I interviewed you with my, uh, of course, co-host Matt Taibbi before for um, Useful Idiots. And um, welcome back. Yeah, um, thank you for the other interview too. It went over really well. We got like a ton of, um, we just got like a ton of random emails from like people around the country that were listening. Um, oh, great. Which is yeah. really cool. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I'm really glad it worked out. And yeah, uh, even, like, even like handwritten notes from some people in the mail, like that they watched it, you know? Really? Wow. Yeah. What did they say? Like, just like, oh, I saw you on um, Useful Idiots and uh, really appreciated the conversation. And here's a check for $20 or $100. That's great. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. You're in a very different position right now. 
than you were before. A lot has yeah. changed. Um, congrats on, on being officially vindicated. I know. If it makes a headline in the New York Times, I know. It's vindicated. It's, it's um, a, a big yeah. deal. Yeah, that was nice. That was good to see. Yeah. Can you give, I'm, I'm sure you want to focus on the positive and the issues, but can you give just a mini um, summary of what was revealed by The Intercept in terms of the kind of involvement of, of Democrats in trying to take you down? Yeah. yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, I get an email from college Democrats telling me I'm uninvited from their events and that I made members of their organization feel uncomfortable. And I couldn't re- recall a single instance. And um, I could just recall one conversation that I had with a panelist or a moderator of a panel in which I thanked him and, and told him I was marching in a parade. And and I, my initial response was very human and very real. Like, hey, like if I made someone feel uncomfortable, then I apologize for that and express my regret and happy to have a conversation about it because I am unaware of, of, of anything that would have made someone feel uncomfortable. And then in the days following, come to find out that those very members of college Democrats that purported to be uncomfortable were in fact not uncomfortable and maliciously trying to find me on dating apps or on Instagram to date me into having conversations that could, that could potentially damage my campaign. And then the intercept showing screenshots of very like basic, boring, I should yeah. say, conversation back and forth about, again, me marching in a parade in North Adams and the Berkshires. And then, you know, one of them being very intentional about starting this, even as, as early as last October, trying to find me on dating apps and, and again, try to entrap me. And then with a goal of currying favor with Congressman Neal to secure a job and secure an internship. And then the intercept struck again. And two days later, we find out that it was in fact, not the college Democrats that wrote the email to me. It was a lawyer for the Democratic Party. The same Democratic Party whose chairman took me to lunch before I launched my campaign that discouraged me from running for office in the first place. I mean, the attorney that wrote this letter is a donor to Congressman Neal with the sole goal of, of of causing the maximum damage to, to our campaign. They actually said, like, this will sink his campaign. And they're like, look how I'm totally <laughs> leading him on, or something ridiculous. And then we also find out that, you know, the, their director, their chair were encouraging the college Democrats to delete text messages and emails once they became aware that investigative journalism were actually going to be trying to go to the bottom of the story. And right. yeah, I mean, I I will let the people come to their own conclusions, as I said a couple of weeks ago, but I I can say with confidence that the people here in the district want to talk about issues. They are just disgusted by these type of of political ploys and personal destruction. And it's the reason I got into politics. It's why I'm running. And I think, if anything, it has certainly inspired people to take a closer look at this race. And I think that's why we see a tightening race and and more and more people weighing in right now. Now we have an investigation into the Democratic Party. I mean, over 50 members of the Democratic State Committee have now called for an independent investigation, that how can this party investigate themselves? Right. We have the Young Democrats of Massachusetts making their own statement calling for an independent investigation. Uh, Bay State Stonewall Democrats, the LGBT arm of the Mass Democratic Party, was inspired to openly endorse my campaign after this happened. And so, again, people are just sick and tired of this, this like, yeah, I mean, bullshit, honestly, and, and just really want to focus on issues. Yeah. Let's just talk about what feedback you've gotten for not just for this campaign, but also for like refusing to step down, because as mm. we know, and as you said on the Useful Idiots interview, you considered stepping down. I will say, I mean, we're, we're stronger and more like fired up and invigorated today than we were even a couple of weeks ago. And I think you and I chatted like a few days after this had sort of come to light and we were still sort of reeling and, and figuring out a path forward. And, uh, you know, that initial weekend was really challenging for me personally and my team. And 
And you're right. I mean, there was, I mean, that weekend I thought long and hard about whether or not it was worth it to continue the fight and stay in the race. And, and then I realized that this was not just about me. It was about our entire community, about like values that we need to continue fighting for and making sure like other people, like young people, gay people, single people, like have a right to run for office and have a personal life. And it's really important that we don't bow to that pressure as we, we so often do as a society. And, and so I will say, you know, I think they had us where they wanted us that weekend, but we made a choice to fight back because we remember why we got in this race and, and who we are and, and what our values are. And when I say we're in, a, we're in a stronger position today than we were two weeks ago, I mean, you know, we have had our best stretch of fundraising since we have launched this campaign. We've had over 1,200 people sign up to volunteer. And since we last chatted, I mean, we literally outraised Congressman Neal in the most recent fundraising period which is remarkable given he's still the top recipient of corporate money in the entire house. And that was just grassroots contributions, 97% under $200 from every corner of this country fired up about what we're fighting for and what we want to bring to Congress. And, and I will say here on the ground, like more local elected officials have been inspired to get off the sidelines and endorse our campaign that were originally planning on just being neutral or, or staying out of the race that witnessed what happened. And, just wanted to be vocal about rejecting that kind of, of politics in our community. And, you know, we're, we're, we're just neck and neck now in the polls, 13% undecided. We have two debates, or we did have two debates last week that I thought, I mean, I'm a little biased, but yeah. um, I mean, I, I think I clearly won both of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they went really well. And hopefully folks that are undecided that were watching them got excited about my message and the message of our campaign. So every day right now is election day. Early voting is happening right now, in-person election on Tuesday. And so we're just super pumped about the final stretch. Yeah, you seem, I mean, you seem more light. I mean, even you're just like, not, your energy so corny, but you just seem <laughs> like happier and more relieved. Um, and I can imagine because, you know, you were at the front of a, a, a manufactured scandal, basically. And um, how is your family faring in all of this? Like, what was that like for them? Uh, well, I just spent a couple of days with them, uh, uh, the week earlier. And it was really nice to just like chill out with family um, overnight. And it's always a good reminder to me that, you know, there's so much more to life than just politics and my job and, and being a candidate. And, and so when I was going through that really tough weekend, you know, called my dad and, and, you know, just told him, I was like, I'm just not sure what I'm going to do and, and whether this is worth it. And like any good dad, he was like, Hey, like, I love you. And, and, you know, you won't be letting me down. Just want you to be happy. And, and, um, you know, Sunday night, I went in the conference room with my team and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And we came out with a statement that I was staying in the race and I would see the congressman at the debate stage next week. And, you know, I woke up to a text message um, on Monday morning from my dad with a great statement with a heart. And, uh, you know, he was glad that we were still in it. And, and, um, and so, you know, they've been with me. I mean, they're with me no matter what. They're my family. Yeah. And I, I just think back to my nine years as mayor and ups and downs and, you know, sometimes having to give them a heads up like, hey, just, you know, this is going to happen tonight. Right. I just want to give you a heads up on this or that. And, and it, it's incredibly grounding and, and humbling. And, um, you know, I, my mom passed away a couple of years ago, so I miss her sometimes. But I also think sometimes, well, I'm glad. I mean, that weekend, I was glad that she didn't have to endure oh, yeah. that because her pain is like my pain is her pain. And, yeah. uh, but she's always with me in, in spirit. I know your brother passed away and your mom passed away. Um, do you think about them often? Like, especially because from what you've said, well, I don't, your mom's life, she struggled with uh, mental health issues, you said, yeah. and your brother 
with addiction issues and that's how he died. And um, do you think about them often because of their, not just because who they are to you, but like, right, like when you're talking mm. about issues of healthcare, um, do you think of them a lot? Yeah, I think about them all the time. And I talk about them a lot often too. I think it's important. It, it keeps them alive in, in a lot of ways. And it just makes it very real too. Like when we talk about a broken healthcare system, like remembering very vividly, like the experience of, of bringing my mom to a facility and, and them telling us her insurance wasn't covered um, or trying to find a detox bed for my brother and not being able to find one. Or when he gets out of detox, like where's he supposed to live and should he focus on recovery or try to find a job and, and everything in between. I mean, my brother had been in and out of prison mm -hmm. and the challenges of getting a job or housing after having a record. And so I think deeply about them and our families, it's very real addiction, mental illness, you know, struggled with, with financially over the years. And despite all of those challenges, like we still always come together and we're, we're small and we're close knit and we have incredible love for each other. And, and that's what keeps me going. And, but I, I think about them all the time. And, and of course I wish my mom and my, my brother were here for, uh, here for the journey. Yeah. And you have nephews, right? And nieces. Yeah. So my oldest brother, Doug, that passed away has, has a son, Gavin, um, who's 11 now and, uh, spends a lot of time with my father. And so it's there every weekend. It's, it's a great relationship for the both of them. He's like a father to, to Gavin, my nephew. And then I can't believe this, but my oldest nephew, so my other brother, Matt has two kids, Lauren, who is 15 and Nate, who just turned 18. And he just cast his first vote ever last week. Um, for me. And so it was Great. really special that he early voted this week and was able to vote for me for the first time. And uh, I was in seventh grade when he was born. Um, so oh, wow. it makes me feel old that he's 18 and he's off to college at MCLA in the fall. And, um, yeah, it's great to watch my nieces and nephews get older. You know, yeah. we actually, you know, we share memes on Instagram now and oh, they're, nice. they're like actual people and adults now. Right. Um, it's fun to, 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 to be with family and, and as they get older, uh, to watch their like personalities and their passions and, come to life in a, in a new way. Did you talk to them about what was happening? Like, cause that's such a, a, a charged thing to talk about with, with like, mm. you know, teenagers, but you also don't want to, it's important to talk about that stuff because yeah. you want to not be shamed, but it's also like, what are the boundaries of talking to your family or yeah. How do you navigate that? Yeah, it was interesting. Um, we didn't really talk about it too much. And it's, it's sort of interesting because, you know, my family, we're just like, we're not a very inherently political family. Like we're, we're I guess we're political now because of me. Yeah. But we're not like obsessed with social media or on Twitter or, or right. all that kind of stuff. And so it, it, in a way for me, it's even a nice like test, like limit, like what are just everyday people paying attention to? What are, right. they, hearing? What are they listening to? And so like my dad, he, he works every day. So does my brother, my sister-in-law, they go to school. So it's like, Hey, what are you hearing? Like, um, and so when they see things like this, because they know what I've had to endure over the last nine years, I don't, I don't think they give it the, the, the credence that, or, or the, the credibility that um, it's real or serious. Um, and, and they have a lot of belief in my resilience um, yeah. over the years too. So it's, and they're also protective, you know? Um, and so I was sending them the updated articles and I did give them a, a, a heads up that Friday evening that, Hey, just want to give you a heads up. This is, this is what's going on. And, and, um, you know, buckle up for the weekend and, and, uh, right. let's get through it. So was it a real relief when you like saw the article on the intercept? It was crazy. And, um, well, that's the thing that's kind of scary too. It's, um, it was almost as if the, the truth and the facts didn't matter. I mean, right. when that happened on Friday night, it was, you know, I know who I am and, 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 
and how I carry myself and the standard I hold myself to and how careful I am over the last nine years and every aspect of my life. And the fact that a, an anonymous, essentially anonymous blog post can be posted in a student newspaper and then lifted by every media outlet and then lead to, I mean, clickbait and, you know, tweets and, and calls for me to drop out and, and resign, so on and so forth. I mean, an incredible relief, but it shouldn't have taken that. Um, right. it, and it shouldn't take that. And, I, and, I, and it does a disservice, honestly, to the very real trauma and experiences in our society and, and, and in our country. And, but yeah, incredibly grateful because, I mean, if not for The Intercept, if not for like investigative journalists there, um, you know, from Ryan Grimm to Owen Higgins to, yeah. to Dan Bogoshwa, I mean, who actually did their due diligence and, and talked to folks and, and were able to tell, tell the real story. I mean, to see messages, I mean, that was so disappointing to me is I, you know, I'm an optimist. I believe in people's humanity and goodness. I always have like, right. despite like all the shit that's always like served my way and in, in, in life. And yeah. then to literally see messages from someone I've always been like kind and pleasant to messaging that I'm intentionally leading them on and then sending a meme of them going, of like going yeah. to Politico um, and like, <laughs> we're going to damage the campaign. Right. And it, it's just, I mean, I guess I, I mean, I don't even know what you were to use. It's just, it's, it's just sad and, and, and a depressing state of affairs as to how broken, I mean, how, how broken some people are in, in our system. And right. Whatnot. Right. Cause you didn't know, right. Who was accusing you exactly of what, I guess. And then when you saw those things and you realized who the person was and, uh, right. I see. Yeah. Well, that was what's so interesting is when we did get wind that, um, you know, cause the story again had been shopped around for a while right. and how I was told was like, there was some inappropriate communication on Instagram with a college Democrat. And I thought, well, that's odd. I, and I didn't, I did remember that there was just one conversation with, um, you know, with the, with the student named in the intercept article. And I remember going back to the conversation and, and rereading it a few times and, 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 and like wondering what could have been perceived right. as, as being uncomfortable or, right. or, or odd. And so, and then again, like article after article within a week of, of shedding more light on the motivations was, it's disappointing and it, and it, not just for me, but for observers and people that are paying attention to, um, and I get it. I'm, I'm in elected office. I'm running for sure. Congress. I'll hopefully be a member of Congress. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I always am, am, am careful and I hold myself to a high standard and I treat others with the respect that I expect from other people. Um, but I also want to be able to, to be human and have a, have conversations and right. not, not worry that every, every, um, you know, sentence I type or every word that I say is, is somehow going to be used, um, Right. Weaponizing it. Right. Yeah. Right. I guess that's a true. Right. So you didn't know at first for all you knew, it was someone who you like that. And so you were being genuine when you were like, I'm sorry if I made someone feel uncomfortable, but then it turned out like it wasn't a misunderstanding. It was like an actual like trap set for you. Yeah. And like literally seeing texts of like encouraging, encouraging those involved to find me on Tinder. Yeah. And try to get me into a conversation. Really? Yeah. Um, or other, other people involved trying to follow me on Instagram and then initiate a conversation with yeah. the hope that they would somehow find something right. or, or get me to say something that could be perceived as, as inappropriate. Yeah. Um, I mean, luckily it, it, it failed and I, and I, I think know. It, it illuminates the, the challenge here, but I think the problematic nature of this is, you know, I want to make sure this doesn't prevent other, other good people from entering the arena and, right. and getting involved. And so tell us about some of the most exciting endorsements that you've gotten 
recently. Yeah, I'm so excited. Um, well, yesterday morning, I was endorsed by Carmen Julien, who is the mayor of San Juan, Puerto Rico, who right. has really taken on Trump after his administration failed to provide the help to, 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 to Puerto Ricans on the island after Hurricane Maria. And, um, and so she endorsed her. Yes, but she was also the co-chair of Bernie Sanders' presidential right. campaign. And then um, really exciting yesterday was um, getting endorsed by AOC's um, Courage to Change Pack, and which was a really big deal for a campaign like ours, for, for, for her and her pack to go and challenge one of the most powerful Democrats in Washington. And, and so grateful. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to chat with the Congresswoman on Saturday for, for the first time. And it was such an honor um, to speak with her and, and thank her for her, her run, her victory, her leadership, the way that she the way that she just inspires me personally and, and so many people in my life, uh, thanking her for her speech on the floor in response to Congressman Yoho's remarks um, right. on behalf of every woman in my life um, that was inspired and uplifted by, by her speech. And, and, and also just talking about the central argument about power, that she went up against this in 2018, that people kept making this argument that people in the district would be losing power. And in fact, you know, like Joe Crowley, Congressman Neal is in fact abusing his power that he has on behalf of corporations and special interests. And so I'm, I was so excited to, to get that endorsement yesterday. It certainly will help propel us over the, the final stretch. And I mean, I couldn't be more excited about the prospect of going to Washington and working alongside her on, on so many important issues. And what are some of the biggest differences between you and uh, Congressman Neal? Let's see. How, how long do you have? I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, a number of issues. And I say, even if you don't live in Western Mass, and I imagine, um, and I will say, I was like so impressed. Um, I was like, how many people in the district are going to be like listening to uh, the interview we had a couple of weeks ago? Yeah. And you'd be surprised, like people coming up to me. I watched the interview. Oh, great. Um, and um, which I thought was uh, really exciting. But I mean, this is a race again, and I would just repeat that has implications well beyond right. Western Massachusetts. This guy is the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee. He's one of the most corporate corrupt Democrats in Congress, the top recipient of corporate money. He's opposed to Medicare for all. He's the only member of Congress in Massachusetts that opposes the Green New Deal. He still supports the Hyde Amendment and still sees abortion through a lens of morality, not as an issue of health care in our community. He's helped perpetuate a system of mass incarceration and continues to oppose legalization and perpetuating the war on drugs on communities of color in our communities, and even opposes a wealth tax. And so when I think about a potential Biden administration, I worry about a President Biden working and having a, a Chairman Neal in the Ways and Means Committee, because we will not get any transformative pieces of legislation through Congress, as long as Richie Neal is the chair of the Ways and Means Committee. And then just for people here in the district, yes, Neal has this power, but you would never know it when you look at outcomes and talk to everyday people here in Western Massachusetts. And this is a guy that just hasn't had a town hall in over three years. I mean, people are just desperate and hungry for visible, accessible, accountable leadership. And Congressman Neal is just nowhere to be found. You're Jewish, right? Yeah, I'm Jewish. I'm not like, um, yeah, my mom and my grandma, like I'm, I'm like a real Jew, right? You get it from your exactly. mom's side. And, um, but I'm not yeah. like religious by any means. Right, me right? neither. Like, yeah. I'm, I, use, I identify, but I'm very cold. I grew up on, in New York City on the Upper West Side. I'm like mm -hmm. out of a Woody Allen movie. And <laughs> I call myself a, a Bernie Sanders Jew. Like yeah. he's very Jewish, but he's not religious. And that's a very Jewish thing to do. We can have a whole chat about that. But yeah. the reason I know you're Jewish is because when I was Googling you before our interview with um, uh, Useful Idiots, it like the Times of Israel and all these and Haaretz, they were like Jewish congressional candidate, like 
caught in scandal. It was just like randomly just talking about the fact that you were Jewish, but I thought it was going to be about that. It wasn't. They just, I guess. So how do you identify, like, do you identify as Jewish? Were you bar mitzvah? I mean, I wasn't bar mitzvah. Like what? And it's, no, I wasn't, and, yeah. no, I wasn't bar mitzvah either. Um, my brother How did they was, even know? Oh, they she was. Okay, yeah. Like my mom and my aunt went to Jewish school. I'm not sure why. And I'm grateful to my parents that we didn't like do organized religion. Like yeah. they, they taught me right from wrong in just a very human way. Like we yeah. go to synagogue or, or church to, to, to learn that. Um, but yeah, my mom and my grandma were always incredibly proud of, of identifying as Jewish. Um, I don't necessarily, I don't see it as a religion. I see it as part of my identity and, and who I am. Um, and I also think it provides an opportunity for me to go to Congress and, and be a millennial Jew. Um, yeah. You know, that also, that also was clear about like not using my identity as a Jew to, to, to advance like the violation of Palestinian human rights and, and fight for uh, the freedom of Israelis and the freedom and peace of, of the Palestinian people. And they shouldn't be exclusive choices um, right. in, in, in our country and in our world. So, um, yeah, so I did. I mean, I did. My, I think my first experience around so many Jewish people was when I went to college. I mean, when I went to Brown, um, right. I was like, because a lot of Jews had moved out of Holyoke over the years and yeah. um, like into the suburbs. And then, yeah, going to Brown, I was like, okay. Yeah. Where, uh, I went to Wesleyan, so I have a similar. Oh, sweet. Thing. Yeah, I visited, yeah. Uh, I visited Wesleyan. Yeah, That's and sweet. just like a lot of gay Jews. I mean, there was, a, it's just like, yeah, yeah it's just yeah. a very Jewish experience. Yeah. <laughs> um, where are your parents from, by the way? Where did they grow up? So my mom was actually born in Oceanside. Um, Long Island. And then when she was uh, two, moved to Holyoke. And so she, grew, I mean, she was essentially in Holyoke her entire life. And my dad grew up in Holyoke as well. Um, you know, both raised by single moms and they met as teenagers in a public housing project. And, oh, right. You told me that. Yeah. yeah. I remember reading that. Yeah. Yeah. My mom was really That's young nice when, she, story, yeah. when she got pregnant with Doug. And, and so, and then my, yeah, my dad, he still works at the same meat company in Springfield right. that he's been at for 34 years. And um, just so grateful to my parents and, and the sacrifices that, that they put themselves through to, for me to be here. And, uh, I know when I went to Brown and I was the first in my family to go, like, I always wanted to make sure my parents knew like how grateful I was to them. Cause sometimes, you know, families feel this like inferiority complex, like, um, right. like, do, do we fit in? Um, cause there was so much privilege at places like that. And I always wanted to make it a point. And it became a point too, because I, I remember being so grateful because so many of my friends and classmates like avoided their family and their hometown at like right. all costs. And like how lucky I was to be able to go back home and have a family that let, loved me and vice versa, that uh, hometown that always welcomed me back. And, um, and I just always felt like incredibly grateful for that and just real. I mean, I met so many people in college and throughout life who have just such transactional experiences with their, with their family. Um, and I remember, you know, you think it's kind of cheesy at the time, but oh, I got to call my mom tonight. And, and it's like, I, uh, I mean, obviously today, which I could still be able to do that. Yeah. But I'm grateful that even when I was in college, even as mayor, every morning we, we would have a conversation and those are, those are experiences and memories that you never get back. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. And let, anything else you want to make sure we mention or, um, let's see, I wouldn't be a good candidate if I didn't encourage people to, to help us out in the, in the right. final stretch and, um, you know, join the campaign, sign up to phone bank for us and help us get out the vote. You can go to alexmorrisforcongress.com. It's Morse like the, like the Morse code. Uh, are you, is your dad Catholic? Um, more Christian, I think. Yeah, okay. Um, I wanted, then I could have said you were a cashew. That's what it's called when you're half Catholic, half Jewish. Oh, I never heard that before. Yeah. Cashew. <laughs> then there's pizza bagel. It's Italian Jewish. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 
I grew up in New York City, so lots of different combos. Uh, Italian and Jewish sounds good, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I made up a thing. It's called potato famine latke. That's when you're Irish Jewish. Yeah, I think I'm somewhere in there a little bit yeah. because, um, yeah, there, I mean, because I can pass, I mean, the red hair. So my dad has some like Irish English roots. Yeah. Um, which, which goes well in Holyoke because, I mean, we used to be nicknamed Ireland Parish before we were called Holyoke um, because so many Irish immigrants came after the potato famine to work right. in the paper mills here in the city. Right, um, paper city, right? That's what yep. Holyoke was called. And I didn't know that you won by one. How much did you win your mayoral race by? Well, my first election was a preliminary. So there were four of us running and then the top two vote getters advanced to the general. And I, I only won my first election by one vote. So, wow. um, and that was a preliminary. I came in first, the mayor came in second. And so we both advanced to the general. Got it. But I always tell people like I won my first election by one vote. Every vote matters. Yeah. I will never forget that. It almost never happens. So, yeah. That's great, and uh, glad I see. I see Jamal Bowman is um, uh, endorsing you, and did some exciting. Yeah, Jamal Bowman back back on board um, yeah. more than ever. Um, hope to have a few more exciting endorsements. And yeah, and yeah. We want to finish strong and um, trying to get a little bit of sleep when I can. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Well, Marky, I I think has Marky endorsed yet? Got to no. get him. No, right. he's focused on his own, on his own. He's in a tight reelection battle. I know. Yeah. Himself, I know. Um, and, uh, do you feel conflicted by your ginger, your shared gingered, uh, identity that you share with Joe? Uh, gingers are, are underrepresented in Washington. I, I said that to <laughs> useful idiots. I was joking with Matt. I was like, why doesn't like the only thing that he could pretend to, to Kennedy could pretend to like be play identity politics with would be, yeah, yeah. The, the ginger. That's hair. Right, the, the, the ginger caucus. Yeah, um, seriously. I'm telling you though, you, you, if, if I want Marky to win, but if, if, if Kennedy does win, you guys should go on a ginger tour together. <laughs> Yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Um, well, thank you so much for uh, doing what you do. And I'm glad that you're getting so much support and that people are inspired by you. And uh, you're very exciting. Yeah, well, thank you. And I hope yeah. we, um, yeah, hope we get the chance to talk a lot more. After yeah. This so. Yes. Either way. Come back either way. Yeah. What was the thing that made you uh, decide to throw your hat into the ring? Oh my gosh, Katie, it's been my whole life story. <laughs> um, you know, I I grew up in very humble beginnings, uh, daughter of a public school teacher and a farmer in Morocco. Um, you know, I, when I was only 13, I lost my father because we couldn't afford to treat his heart condition. Um, we didn't have much, but we had uh, the dream of living in a country that gives its people the basic necessities to live, the right to freedom of speech, freedom of identity, freedom of religion, uh, shelter, uh, healthcare, education, a good paying job, clean air and water. That's what, that's what we dreamed of. And that was my American dream. Uh, when I came here as a 20 year old, I came with nothing. I had a little suitcase and nothing. And I immediately became an undocumented worker because I get I gotta eat, right? Mm -hmm. I gotta eat. Um, I became, you know, an insured. I was paid poverty wages and faced sexual harassment and wage theft, mm. and it really opened up my eyes on who truly gets to be part of that American dream in this country. That those who hoard the wealth at the top 
get to have it all. But the millions, the majority of the people in our country don't get to have the basic necessities to live. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I mopped those floors in the restaurants and vowed every day that I'm going to take down every oppressive system that stands between us and the America we believe in. I put myself through community college. I went to Boston University with the Women in Math Scholarship. And then I joined the Federal Reserve and became a Wall Street regulator. I was in the thick of it in the post-2008 crisis, implementing the Dodd-Frank, holding accountable and fighting against the biggest banks in our country and in the world. You're talking Goldman Sachs, you're talking Morgan Stanley, et cetera. And I know their greed, and I know how they love to gamble with our economy and with our livelihood. And then they get a blank bailout check from our government, rewarding them for their bad behavior and leaving the working families without a shelter and without food on the table. So I'm here to fight back. I'm here to fight harder. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to Congress to get it done. Awesome. And what was um, what was Joe Kennedy doing that left you less than inspired um, uh, and sufficiently inspired to run? Well, he was or taking not, money from the big yeah. banks that I was regulating. Mm -hmm. He voted to deregulate. He made my job in protecting our economy and serving the American people very hard. It, you know, when you show up and I remember my boss used to tell me this, he used to tell us, you aren't here for a fancy job. You're here serving the American people. Mm. And you have to respect that every day because you need to have the integrity to do this work and you cannot have a special interest or conflict of interest. And yet, when you look at the people who are making those regulations to hold Wall Street accountable, they're taking money from the same banks and corporations that we're fighting against. So of right. course, it would take him over two years to add his name on Medicare for All. It took him over, I don't know how long, to get him to, to add his name on the Green New Deal and then right the next day, call it a pie in the sky. I was one of those people who organized three months of phone banking in my home with my daughter, with my husband, with my community to ask him to, to, to sign on Medicare for All. But that's wow. not the type of leadership that needs to come out of Massachusetts. We need bold progressives. We need people who can speak truth to power. And we need people who come with the lived experiences, who have tasted the hurt and pain of poverty and the scars that it, that it leaves in our communities right. and in our lives. Right. Or if not, then they at least have to have the empathy and sense of justice that makes them do the right thing, right? Like FDR didn't suffer, but he, he was able to... Um, do those things and certainly your experience does bring a very unique like rich experience with it um but kennedy is like playing it's almost like a, a stereotype of what a can like of a political dynasty um and uh were you relieved when you were you surprised when you found out that he was running for senate i was yes i yeah. was i wonder why I'm he sure. did that How no, was I, I, I was ready i was ready for the challenge and Maybe you know, scared I, him off. Well, I'm, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, if you were in his position, you yeah. have a giant name, you have $4 million cash in your account. Right. Mm -hmm. Are you going to fight against uh, an immigrant who's been here for 15 years and is ready to battle you down to, to right. the last vote? Are you, right. would you spend your money on that? Or would you say, you know what, I'm, I'm on a different trajectory. I'm going to go mm -hmm. for a higher office. Right. That's true. Yeah. 
and he gets to fight another straight white man who's older, which isn't fair because if you adjust for age, if you adjust for age inflation, then Kennedy's like even way worse than Marky. He's already worse than Marky, but even worse. Not that we should do that because obviously Amo Bernie is older and was more progressive <laughs> than, you know, had nothing to do with the age. But um, it's just ridiculous to be as young, I guess, as Kennedy is and and not even have the like the awareness and wherewithal to, to get on board with uh, Medicare for all until he's like dragged into it. You're, I believe, the only woman of color in the race. Yes. And also, I want to just give you a shout out. Um, I don't know if you, you're Moroccan. I don't know if you identify, how you identify, but some, I don't know if anyone noticed for a party that's really, really dedicated to being no wall, no, no ban, no wall. There were zero Muslim American, Arab American, Arab, any of the combination who were given a main speaking spot at the DNC. Uh, was that an absence you expected, noted, felt? We're disappointed by i'm still feeling it and you know especially in a time mm -hmm. where the muslim community has been attacked by trump you know he he said that muslims hate america right he right. said that so loudly and i will never forget that he said you know he enacted the muslim ban right there is a muslim ban in our country right wake up people yes. this is happening mm -hmm. um and not having a say to, to just speak up and represent our community. You know, our community fought so hard for, for the Bernie Sanders campaign. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was historic how we were, you know, as a collective across the nation. You're talking to people who are fighting for our freedom of religion in our country, right? Mm -hmm. The fight for, for, for Muslim freedom is a fight for everybody's freedom, right. no matter your religious belief, whether you, ha you have it or not. That's a fight for you. Right. And so we need to make sure we have that representation. And, and of course, you know, right now we have two Muslim women in, in the whole 535 members of Congress. So we need to have more power. We need to grow that bench so we can fight right. harder. Inshallah. Of course they didn't have, inshallah, yeah, inshallah. Um, of course they did not have uh, either Tlaib or Omar, which wasn't surprising, they uh, or Abdullah Sayed, who's someone else they could have maybe asked. And there are right. obviously more people. Obviously, Linda Sarsour, they, of course, in never in a million years would have. I mean, I almost appreciate their purity. They stuck to their their <laughs> principles of being total sellouts. Like, there was no pandering. They chose who to pander to, and you guys just didn't make the cut. So, you know. <laughs> also, you talk openly about being a survivor. How does that uh, informed your views and your um, activism and your choice to do what you're doing now. A lot of people are survivors. Yeah. Statistic is like one one in every four. Yeah. So every time I'm in, in a room, I keep that in mind. And I talk openly about it because people need to be seen and feel seen. And it's an issue that carries so much shame in our community. And it's it, enough is enough, right? Shame has made it impossible for people to heal impossible for people to fight for policies um, that represent their needs, right? We need to put an end to throwing things under the rug. And when does that start? It starts since you're a little child, right? For me, first time I faced it, I was only three years old and I was asked to not say anything because there was a lot at stake. There was a lot at stake. There was food on the table that was gonna go away if my father or my brothers ended up in jail from fighting the perpetrator, right? Mm -hmm. So there, there are complications that come with poverty, 
and would be in people who are vulnerable, that when we are faced with injustice, we tend to not speak up because we fear that we're going to be the ones who end up um, victim, not only victimized, but end up in jail. And we see that in our communities here a lot. Um, I am a very active uh, survivor. I organize amongst the survivor community. And it's very, very complex um, to be able to speak with each other without judgment and to be able to mentor each other and at the same time um, be gentle with each other and, and with an understanding that you know things might be taken in, in different ways. But the biggest problem that the survivor community faces is healthcare. Mm. Because you have to have mental health right. to be able to heal. Right? You, you live in PTSD for the rest of your life. And you have to have mental health. And it's one of the most expensive uh, things in the healthcare system right now. And right. that's why I fight for Medicare for all. That's part of that fight. Um, I'm also a survivor of gun violence. And, you know, I had a gun pointed at my head. And it really puts you again in that life or death situation. That's why... You know, I'm, I'm fighting the NRA. We need people yeah. who know how to fight the NRA. I fought the biggest banks. I can fight the NRA. Um, there is more to that. There is more to that. I'm, I've survived an, uh, an abortion that was deemed illegal. Yeah. I want that, yeah. And that almost took my life. And how old were you when that happened? 17. And you were in Morocco or you were here? Yes, I was. In Morocco. Yeah. And but you know what? Illegal. Yeah. You know what? Right here in the U.S., right, we could also have that. We'll go through that, right? Especially the the the, the immigrants who right. are undocumented, right? Especially the uninsured. That's what they're going through. And so let's face our realities. Let's face our problems, and let's think of people as human beings and move, you know, from that space. Because if you felt it, you aren't going to sell people through the corporate money. I can't right. do that. I can't do that. Um, but we also have to have policies that bring healing and that bring compassion to our people. And the only way to do that is to send people who have been there. That's why I'm doing this right. work. And I know it's, it's not easy. And I, and, and I always, you know, say in this space, um, that I, you know, I, I hear you and I feel you and I apologize if I triggered anybody from talking about these issues. Just know that I am fighting really hard for you and making space for those who haven't been able to speak up. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to share about those things? I don't want to press you. Uh, the abuse, the gun violence and the abortion. Fighting forward is the way to get away from victimizing ourselves or yeah. saying that we're victims to these issues and instead being warriors not just survivors right that through that pain we've learned so much we've learned about our our ability to come out of it alive we have a strong ability to come out of it alive and there are certain things that you know in the survivor community we talk about we talk about how we are more aware of what's around us that we see more in people that we hear more we're always on the alerts, right? We're always are trying to be, is, is there a danger somewhere and how we right. can catch it? So, you know, there are physical and mental abilities that we have Thanks. and we yeah. do. Mm -hmm. um, I think that this is, a, this is definitely a difficult subject. And I, for me, 
the only way out is the way through. Yeah. That's why I fight for reproductive justice. And I say justice, not care, not health care. I believe that abortion is health care and all that stuff. But justice reflects racial justice in it, that we know that our indigenous brothers and sisters and that our black brothers and sisters and that people of color brothers and sisters, that those folks don't have $15,000 to go out of Massachusetts to Colorado to get an abortion, right? They don't have that. That's why we have to talk about reproductive justice. Um, And so the movement for reproductive justice has also been lacking of representation. You know, we see that it is more skewed towards white women. Not that, and and I'm, you know, not to bash that at all. It's great and it's wonderful. But I think that in every movement that we have, we have to have an eye for more inclusivity and for equity so that we can bring people into the the fold and bring their voices in as well. Yeah. Um, and what are your what are your thoughts on Trump? I mean, Trump v. Biden. Obviously, a lot of people are disappointed. It's Biden. Um, uh, what? How do you see the difference? Um, and if you and and how do we talk about this in a way that doesn't vote shame or or turn into something counterproductive where people feel like they're shamed into and badgered? Well, I mean, shaming people is not going to get us anywhere. Right. We need solidarity. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. we need solidarity. And to do that, we have to see people eye to eye. We have to be able to come to people where they are and understand. It's okay if somebody is jaded right now. It's okay if somebody is so upset right now. You know, people have been building the movements for so long right. and they worked so hard, right? Giving the small dollar donations when they're starving or, or showing up at the doors. Things have changed, especially with COVID. It works against us, but we still show up. We show up with compassion. So if somebody is talking to you, you know, you're talking to somebody about the presidency and you're saying, you know, I can't, I can't keep Trump in the office. You know, I'm a survivor. The Kavanaugh hearing happened and that was the end of it for me. I, every patience I had was so done. And I was like, okay, nobody, you know, I don't have somebody who's representing my needs as a survivor and my community's needs to watch that on television, on public television, to watch Dr. Ford going through what she went through when the survivor community knows that that's what we go through every single time we come out and say, hey, something bad happened, that we're the ones who get questioned, we're the ones who don't get believed, right? To watch that, I don't wanna have to go through that again, ever, ever. But we have to understand that we are facing fascism in this country. We are losing our right to free speech. You know, people are organizing for the Black Lives Matter in the streets. And what are they facing? They're being gassed by our National Guard. So that should be a sign. Enough. Enough is enough. So vote against Trump. And voting against Trump is voting for Biden and Harris. I know it's, it's not something that's going to make everybody happy, but it is what it is. As Michelle Obama said, it is what it is. So let's just coalesce and let's just be in solidarity and send people to Congress who are going to push Biden to do the right thing. Can you just share some specific legislative policies that you are backing? I am backing Medicare for all. I voted against that Democratic National Committee platform because it didn't, you know, I'm a Bernie delegate. 
no. because it didn't include Medicare for all. Um, I am back in the Green New Deal. I'm back in the, the, the Green Homes Guarantee, which is also part of the Green New Deal. Uh, I'm back in ending forever wars, cutting the military budget, um, and put, giving everybody, every person in our country, $2,000 a month for the duration of this pandemic and at least six, to, six months to one year after. Um, I'm back in a regulation of Wall Street that is a real deal where we're going to actually get their corruption out of the way so that we can pass these policies, right? That is what's between us and these policies is Wall Street, the big banks. I've done that. I know how to do it in Congress. I can't wait to bring everything that I've learned as a regulator to help out our brothers and sisters who are serving us in Congress right now. Uh, and I'm talking about, you know, Ilhan Omar, who endorsed my campaign. I'm talking about AOC, I'm talking about Rashida, I'm talking about Bowman and many, many more. And I never really even wanted to have anything to do with politics either. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in a country where your vote doesn't really matter. So when I came here, I wanted nothing to do with politics and just wanted to, you know, live that life with dignity, do my thing, live in freedom, have my basic rights. Um, but there's, there's just this fire about this country that just tickles in my heart. There's just like, if you can't, if you can't get it here, there's no other place. Okay. If you can't, you here, we can organize, we can show up in the streets and we have to fight for that. We just have to fight for that, for that right. We cannot let Trump take that away from us because that's how we win as a people. That's how we have a voice as a people is to be able to show up in the streets and to vote and vote out those we don't like. Vote them out. Don't sit and agonize and, agonize and complain. Organize and vote. And so I'm begging you that you vote on September 1st and vote for justice for all. Help us to get more votes, right? If you, if you can donate, give. If you can't, Get us more votes through making calls or sending texts. Join our team. Go on our website, ihssane.org, I-H-S-S-A-N-E.org. Volunteer. We need you in this movement. We are, this, you know, we're not done. We're not done. This is just the beginning. And we have the big voice of Senator Bernie Sanders that we have to continue to shout out and beat that drum and window seats one at a time. Don't wait, don't wait until you know corrupt politicians and complacent politicians take the seats and then go fight them. This is low hanging fruit. This is an open race. Just snatch it. Yeah. So join us in these last days for the primary. If we win on September 1st, we win the seat. Yes, and what does your name mean by the way? My name means to do good by the people. Really? Oh wow. Yeah. Wow, that's a good, no wonder you feel the spirit. <laughs> I had to embrace it. It was destined, yeah. Thanks, yeah. mom and dad. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's great. And how old is your daughter? My daughter is eight. Her name is Nora. That means, that's my mom's name. Wait, N-O-R-A or N-O-U-R-A? N-O-R-A. That's my mom's name. Oh my God, Katie. Yeah. Does that mean honor? Does it mean honor? What does it mean? It means light. 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 Okay. Yeah. I think in some, uh, yeah, I don't know why well, David keeps going that, but yeah, yeah, Nora, yeah. 
Yeah, we have, you know, where her dad is half Irish, half Jewish. He's also a Muslim. Oh, my God. Wait, he's yeah. a, he is a, ready for it? Potato famine latka. That's what I call <laughs> Irish Jews, potato famine latkes. Because I didn't make, it's good, right? You guys can all use it. Because pizza bagels are Italian Jewish. But, yeah, potato famine latkes. I, I grew up with a lot of those. Yeah. I have one of my so, best friends, Anna Arkin Gallagher. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I was saying that Nora is a name. Very Irish name. In all, it's, it's Irish. His wow. great name is Nora. It's also in the Jewish community, and it's in the in the Arab uh, Muslim community. Oh, okay, Muslim cool. Community as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe it means different things in, in different, yeah. And your dog? Your dog? What? Benji. Benji, great name. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's a, he's a cutie. Yeah, he's very cute. He keeps us going. Yeah. When I'm out campaigning, Nora, Nora and my husband are petting the dog. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much. This was great. Well, thank and you for having me. I really me. wish you best of luck. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Really. Yeah. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you. Thanks for having Bye. me. Bye. Bye. Don't forget to check out the websites and Twitters of these great guests, Alex Morse and Isan Lakey. To find out more about her, you can just go to isan.org, and that's I-H-S-S-A-N-E.org. You can also find them on the Twitters, and to do that, that is I-H-S-S-A-N-E-L-E-C-K-E-Y. You can find out about Alex Morse, at Alex B. Morse. Morse is in Morse code. Thanks so much for listening to the Katie Helper Show. Please rate and review us. And please become Patreon subscribers at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. If you're more into video, I do a YouTube um, Wednesday nights and Sunday nights. That's very fun. Um, and to find that, you can just go to youtube.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Great. Okay. We'll see you soon with more episodes, more content.